Welcome to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. If you say, I want to be as I am, I insist on having happiness on my own terms, even if it means giving up even deeper longings that I refuse to admit that I have, well, then the offer of God's grace is not going to seem so attractive. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite Coffee Break Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. With us today is Professor Jay Wojcicki. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. And I noticed a smile when you heard the title of our podcast. So, yes. yeah, we do owe it to you. For those of you who do not know, possibly the most famous book Professor Wojcicki wrote was What We Can't Not Know. And yes, in this podcast, since it's going to be on the things that we can't not talk about, most of the times it's also the same things, right? So, Professor Bujoseski, thank you for uh, accepting our invitation. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm a great fan of the Austin Institute, as you know. Yes, and you are one of our senior fellows. And today, Professor Bujoseski accepted to tell us something about prudence, which is one of the topics that he's addressing for us for a student seminar. But before we do, uh, Professor Bujoceski, if I may, I'll just introduce you briefly to our audience. Professor Bujoceski received his PhD from Yale in 1981, and he is a professor of government and philosophy at the University of Texas at Austin. And his main area of research is the natural moral law, in which he's best known for his work on moral self-deception, meaning on what happens when we tell ourselves lies. Among his other research interests are moral character, family, and sexuality, religion, public life, toleration and liberty, and the unraveling of our common culture. Professor Bujacevsky's most important scholarly works are his commentaries on Tom Aquinas' Treatise on Law and on Virtue Ethics, as well as The Line Through the Art, uh, Natural Law is Fact, Theory and Sign of Contradiction. And then, as said, for the lay public, we have what we cannot talk about and on the meaning of sex. But um, there is also the most recent commentary that you wrote, Commentary on Aquinas' treatise on happiness, correct? That's right, happiness and ultimate purpose. Okay, so since I think that beyond prudence, we also all need to be happy, would you promise that you're going to come and talk about happiness? (laughs) Yes, yes, I'll be glad to do that. (laughs) Okay, so we look forward to that also because that's a book you just published. But let's look now at prudence. So first of all, you're looking at prudence with our students with the, through the eyes of Thomas of Aquinas. Mm-hmm. So my first question and the question of our audience is, how is it different from Aristotle? Well, I would point to two chief differences. One is that Thomas Aquinas often pushes Aristotle in the direction that Aristotle wants to go, but further. He sometimes takes some suggestions in Aristotle, but makes them much more systematic. He groups and reorganizes the material and so that you have a much clearer and more precise, sometimes more complicated theory. A second thing that is different about him, though, is that he integrates Christian insights about our ultimate end in God. This is something that, in a certain way, Aristotle ought to be open to because Aristotle says that Nothing in nature is there for no purpose, and we have some longings that cannot be satisfied by anything in the created order. So what else is there to satisfy them but God? So 
you might say that Thomas Aquinas takes Aristotle further along the implications of his own premise than Aristotle himself goes. Would, would Aristotelians, you think they would all agree with this interpretation? Oh, no, this? no. No. <laughs> so it's your take. It's your... Yeah, that's my take on it. I mean, Aristotle, when we're speaking of that which is beyond the created order and that we long for, we're talking about God and we're talking about the possibility of friendship between man and God. But this is a very problematic idea for Aristotle because his conception of God is just thought thinking itself. God doesn't, since God doesn't need us, how could there be friendship between us and God? But Thomas Aquinas' conception of this friendship is that it doesn't depend on God needing us. It depends on God's gratuitous love. Yeah, so there is, there is this difference between um, Aquinas and Aristotle on how they interpret this closeness with God and the relationship with God. But he also mentioned this order of Aquinas. Now, I noticed I was doing some of the readings that you sent to the students and Aquinas talks about the parts of virtue, right? So the integral parts, the subjective parts, the potential parts, and then the formal principle. There is a lot of systems in order. Does that help? Oh, I think it helps enormously. You know, Aristotle, in his book, The Nicomachean Ethics, he says, well, here are the virtues, and he lists a number of virtues. And you think, well, wait, where did those come from? We understand that these are qualities of character that help us in our flourishing, but why does he list certain things and not list others? That It's a little bit mysterious sometimes. It's a problem that a lot of people who've studied Aristotle have. But in Thomas Aquinas, it's absolutely clear there are four cardinal virtues as justice and temperance and fortitude and prudence. And all of the other things that we might like to call virtues, if they really are virtues, can be viewed as dimensions or aspects or departments of those. And now I'm speaking only of the, of the natural virtues here. I'm not speaking of those virtues that are attainable by grace yet, but all of the natural virtues are, can be thought of as departments of those virtues. So you know where they come from. You see, you can give a precise explanation of why, for instance, patience is a virtue and it's an aspect of the virtue of fortitude. And despite some people saying cleanliness is next to godliness, cleanliness is not one of the virtues. And you, you mentioned four, right? So four are the principal and cardinal. And you mentioned in your writings, cardinal is not a word that is chosen by chance. Cardinal has a profound meaning. Yeah, it comes from a Latin word that refers to a hinge. It can also refer to a certain kind of a joint or something that things hang from. So you can think of the cardinal virtues as the four big virtues that all the other virtues hang from or that all the other virtues hinge upon. And is is in this sense... Prudence. So I, I know, remember from the objections that Aquinas addresses in describing prudence and in saying, you know, that one of the objections being, well, if prudence among the cardinal virtue is the, more, the one that leads all other, the one that we use in order to reason about the other virtues, why don't we say that's the cardinal virtue and then come the other? So, Well, the other virtues are concerned with causing us to desire to have appetite for the right things. But prudence directs us in how to attain those right things that we're seeking. So the two are the prudence on the one hand and the other three, justice and fortitude and temperance on the other hand, are complementary to each other. You could call prudence the guide of the other virtues. 
could that be, if I may use an image, as in a body and saying you cannot say that the eye is more important just because it directs the movement of the entire body is simply something you need in order to properly use the other ones. Because that's, that's an image I had when I was trying to understand this role sure. of prudence. Yeah, I think you can say something like that. There is a sense in which prudence is the greatest virtue because it guides the others. But if saying it's the greatest virtue gives the impression that um, you could just have prudence and, and, and not have the others, then you're going to be misled. You really do need all of them working together. And so, well, let's take a step back. I think maybe we dived immediately into this concept of prudence because we remember from other discussions we've had in our podcast with other speakers, you know, what is like the definition of prudence? But I would like to ask you, how do you define prudence? How does Thomas define prudence? Well, Thomas thinks of it as right reason applied to action. In other words, it's because of prudence, because of practical wisdom, it can be called practical wisdom, that we know how to direct our acts. And this isn't just um, this isn't just thinking about it and coming to an abstract conclusion, oh, I ought to do this. He says prudence commands, the, the, the culmination of, uh, of prudence is that we actually do something. The will, the will is involved and we are commanded by the will informed by prudence to do the right thing. And where does this practical wisdom come from? Well, it can come from partly from teaching. You're going to need an awful lot of experience. Those are the two main things. If we're talking about, you know, he distinguishes between ordinary, this worldly prudence and the supernatural prudence that comes with the assistance of God's grace. So if you're talking about that second higher supernatural level of prudence, then there's a third element too, besides teaching and experience. And that's the the actual grace of God being poured into you. You know, experience, you can work that up on your own. Being taught by others and listening to their advice and their their counsel, uh, okay, you can attain that on your own. But the grace of God is not something that we work up in ourselves. You know, you can't just build it up by moral sweat. This is something that has to literally be poured into you by the gracious God. Yeah, I read that. I. I was, let's say, I would not say confused, but I, that's a question I had for you. You were mentioning in your commentary, that's incredible, but uh, you're mentioning how there was St. Ambrose was mentioning already that the four principal virtues and he, he linked them to the spiritual graces. So my question was really, do we need grace to be really virtuous? And because yeah, if the answer is yes, it's sort of upsetting knowing that grace is not something we can really work decide to have. Well, you know, behavior and, uh, and moral character can be called good in two different ways. You might say of a person, he, well, he's a good man or she's a good woman, doesn't cheat, controls, controls his temper, doesn't become enraged, has a moderate appetite, is not a glutton. But there's another, another level of this goodness that we're pursuing all of those virtues, but we're pursuing them in the light of of in the light of God and doing good things, not just because they, they are good to us, but for his sake. For instance, a, a person of fortitude is going to be able to do the right thing, even though uh, it may be frightening. But if you have the light of faith 
if God's grace is poured into you, then you're going to view these things very differently. Even martyrdom is something that is that is conceivable and doable because you're looking not just at the goods of this life, but you're looking at the next life. You have not just bodily life to lose, but you have the possibility of utter ruin, of eternal life to lose. That's how Thomas Aquinas views it. So you can say, you can speak of goodness in a sort of an ordinary sense, but you can also speak of goodness in a fuller sense, which in that fuller sense, he's very explicit. He says, yeah, that fuller sense of goodness, that is unattainable without the grace of God. And you cannot completely please God without that divine help. Well, and then so this leads me to my following question, which is, if today's word seems to lack prudence. What, does, seems, to, what seems to lack prudence? Today's word, our contemporary well, oh, word, yes, our yes. contemporary politics. Sure. Does it only, is that, is that related to a lack of grace? I think it's related partly to that. But, you know, our world is at the present time, I think, uh, sinking even under the level of prudence that the pagans uh, attained in many ways. Uh, Aristotle was a pretty wise fellow. He had a lot of insight into the goods of human life. And we seem to even be sinking beneath that pagan level now. Sometimes people say that uh, because of the loss of faith, that we're going back to the pagans. Well, no, we're forgetting even some things that the pagans did in stripping off faith. We're stripping off even a lot of the pagan wisdom. And uh, that's a real problem. Why is that? Why is that? Well, look, if, why should I, okay, I am a Christian. According to the Christian gospel, the gospel that is good news, it says, you know, you're messed up, but you can be forgiven and you can be restored to wholeness by God and become friends with God again. That sounds, that's great. Gee, how wonderful. But on the other hand, if I've been, if I've been making myself God, and I did this in my own life at a, at a certain point, I, I, spent, I spent years, I, I'd been raised in a Christian family and I spent years in rebellion against that. I didn't want God to be God. I wanted Jay Budzieszewski to be God. And so from that point of view, good news might not seem so good to you because somebody else, the real God has to be God instead of you being God. And uh, it may mean that you have to change. And also there are other strange things that happen if you've done something terribly wrong, but you know about the grace of God, you can repent, you can be healed, you can be forgiven. But if you reject that grace... Well, you're not going to be unaware of the moral law because conscience is, because deep conscience, Sendaris, as Thomas Aquinas called it, is built into you. But then the moral law by itself, it has a heart of rock. The moral law by itself can't forgive. And so you're driven to other things. You start saying, well, uh, the awareness of guilt or the awareness that I've done something wrong is just a psychological state that I have to get rid of. Maybe if I use the right drugs, I can do it. You know, maybe, or maybe if we change the laws, so that or they we don't change the laws, right? We'll legalize all the things that we, the, the dreadful things that we want to do, or we'll think of new brain surgery that will cut out the conscience. You know, we can imagine all these kinds of things because you have to desire wholeness for the offer of wholeness to seem good to you. If you say, "I want to be as I am." I insist on having happiness on my own terms, even if it means giving up even deeper longings that I refuse to admit that I have. 
well, then the offer of God's grace is not going to seem so attractive. And so we, okay, you, what have you done here? You've not only cast off the offer of healing and forgiveness, you've cast off the moral law itself. You've gone to a pre-pagan level, something that is pretty bad. The other, I think, interesting thing was about justice, maybe because I'm a lawyer, but you stress how justice in Aquinas terms is necessarily a relational concept. Yes. And, and I like this idea. It's been dear to me, but I think it's interesting because somehow if justice is relational, then it also means that there is no such thing as this unlimited individual rights that do not take the other into consideration. Oh, sure. There are, we do have rights. There are some things that are right for me to demand and that it is right that they should be done to me, okay? And from my point of view, we can sometimes speak of these as my rights. But rights themselves, rights aren't things that insulate me from moral demands. They're things that protect the moral good, that protect the, the well-being of human beings. But justice is also different than the other cardinal virtues for another reason, too. You know, prudence is the master virtue that, that guides the others. Temperance brings order into my desires. Courage brings order into a set of other emotions like fear. But justice is not primarily about bringing order to my emotions. It's about bringing order to my relationships, to my actions toward other people. And what Thomas Aquinas says is, it's, therefore, he says it's not about passions, it's about operations. That's his way of saying that. Now, it's not that passions aren't involved. Maybe I do the wrong thing to you because I get angry, but I might do the same wrong thing to you for a lot of other reasons. And so it isn't principally, you know, passion comes into it only in a secondary way. The main thing is that uh, my acts toward you are disordered, and uh, that's injustice. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that this would just by itself answer to the contemporary doubts that we might have a right to self-destruction, which probably would have sounded crazy some centuries ago, but sounds oh, now Oh, yeah. Me. Justice is, you know, justice, if you want to put it in a formula, you could say justice is, is uh, giving to the other what is due to him, what, yeah. what, what he deserves. And that's, people say, oh, what's justice? Who can define justice? Nobody can define justice. My injustice is your justice. Justice is in the eye of the beholder. No, I think that's pretty clear. Justice is giving to another person what is due to him. It may be that punishment is due to him because he's done something terrible. It may be that honor or reward is due to him because of something good that he did. It may be that it's uh, it's a transaction. Uh, he gave me $6 worth of, um, worth of bread, and now what is due to him is $6 to pay for the bread. But so, okay, that's justice. Yeah, I remember from law school, the Latin definition, right? The honesta vivere, alterum non ledere sum quica tribuere. So to, to give each, each is due. But I would be doing you injustice if I kept you longer for our episode and our first episode, because as you already promised, <laughs> you at least will come back to talk about happiness. Oh, sure, sure. Happiness and ultimate purpose. Those two things are connected, according to Thomas. Yeah, there's a lot. We need that. We need that a lot, Professor Wojciechowski and thank you again for um, this episode and for the seminar for the students and for being such an important part an important fellow with your research for the Austin Institute so thank you once more it's been my pleasure and honor thank you thank you all for listening to the Austin Institute's podcast What We Can't Not Talk About 
Please share it with your friends. Please give us a five-star rating and please donate so we can do even more.